It's July 2019. Arthur Hayes, a former Citibank trader turned crypto billionaire, saunters on stage in ripped jeans. He's here to debate the future of crypto. His opponent is Noriel Rubini, an economist known as Dr. Doom, who predicted the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis. Today, he's got an equally skeptical view of crypto. He says the digital currency is a scam. The room is full of crypto enthusiasts anticipating a throwdown. The moderator introduces the contestants. We've had the rumble in the jungle, we've had the thriller in Manila, and we've now got the tangle in Taipei. Before crypto kingpins found themselves in serious legal trouble, there were questions about the ethics of this industry. For me, this debate captured the heady mix of excitement and alarm swirling around crypto. Crypto. Give them a round of applause. Noriel, the economist, kicks off, and he doesn't mince words. Shady behavior occurs in this particular industry. Conmen, criminals, scammers snake hole salesman, and so on and so on. As Noriel speaks, Arthur stares at him, a smile on his face. This thing is not regulated anywhere. It's set up in the Seychelles. No regulation, no audit. You can do anything. You can front your clients. You can screw them financially. And it doesn't matter if they leverage 100 times, if they're not a creditor, so be it, right? And officially, US investors are not supposed to be doing this stuff, right? because they're subject to U.S. regulation. Noriel is angry because though Arthur is an American, he has set up his crypto exchange, BitMEX, in Hong Kong and the Seychelles, specifically to avoid U.S. rules that protect small investors. Just a year earlier, Bitcoin crashed, and millions of people who'd invested had their savings wiped out. These people don't give a shit. They're just like drag pushers, right? They get you addicted to something, and if you're then royally screwed, so be it, and I make money out of you. Now it's Arthur's turn. His defense is simple. No one is forcing Americans to use his exchange to bet on crypto. You don't have to go and buy shit coins. If you choose to buy a shit coin and it goes to zero, that's your problem. Arthur claims he's just providing a service. People speculate in everything. I'm sure if we put some chickens on the stage here, I put up a QR code, and I let you bet on which chicken was going to win, we would have probably a million dollars traded in the next five minutes. Noriel is furious. Arthur sees his customers as nothing more than degenerate gamblers. And BitMEX makes a fortune from their financial ruin. There is one reason why this industry is called the shitcoin industry, because it's a cesspool of stinking shitcoins. That's what it is. But Arthur didn't care. He was making bags of cash. And soon, other wannabe crypto kingpins started to see the attraction of Hong Kong. Among them, Sam Bankman-Fried. I'm Tom Wright, and this is Crypto Kingpins from Project Brazen and USG Audio. Episode 3, The Wild East. Part of China and its rapidly growing economy, Hong Kong was a perfect launchpad to make it big in crypto. At the time, I mean, sky was the limit. Angie Lau is a former Bloomberg TV anchor in Hong Kong. Nobody was regulating 
And you had a giant market called China of 1.4 billion people with pent up demand and wanting to participate in the global economy, being able to do so with the crypto exchanges that were popping up. Arthur Hayes' company, BitMEX, was suddenly making huge profits. He installed a live shark tank in his office in Hong Kong and turned up at crypto events in a bright orange Lamborghini. Binance, the exchange founded by Changpeng Zhao, or CZ, was also minting money. Hong Kong was a hotbed because a lot of China money was flowing through, sloshing around and looking for a place to land. I lived in Hong Kong in those years, and you could really feel the impact of that money. The city was full of young crypto millionaires who were trading by day and partying until dawn at high-end nightclubs. This was the world that Sam Bankman-Fried, Caroline Ellison and their inner circle joined at the start of 2019. Sam hadn't yet created his crypto exchange, FTX. He was still focused on the risky business of trading crypto through his hedge fund, Alameda. But unlike Noriel Rubini, Sam saw nothing wrong with the wild success of Arthur Hayes and Hong Kong's other crypto big shots. In fact, he'd emulate them. One thing that was a bit different with SBF, he basically said, I'm not going to go out for a coffee, you have to come to my office. Charles Dorsey is a crypto entrepreneur. In 2019, he was writing a book about Hong Kong's burgeoning crypto scene. In the context of the book, each chapter was organized around the breakfast. Sam agreed to an interview, but he made out that he was too busy for breakfast. Since I really wanted to have a chat with him, I said, OK, I'm going to break the rule for him only. Sam was still a newcomer to Hong Kong's crypto scene, but Charles was drawn to him for one reason. Oh, fuck, I'm looking at the wrong market, right? I really fucking hope that this million hits soon. (laughs) Sam had recently started posting videos of himself trading crypto, an activity that finance types normally would keep secret. We just bought a bunch of Bitcoins. All right, we just did the right thing. I guess we want to send even more over there. Is that right? One clip shows Sam at his desk, four huge computer monitors lighting up his face as he fires off real-time trades. From behind the camera, another member of the Alameda team quizzes him on the action. Can you give a quick summary of what happened to him? Yeah, so there's a huge fucking seller on Binance. Someone sold something like 60 to $100 million of Bitcoin on Binance, and it drove a bunch of markets out of whack with each other. So obviously it drove Bitcoin down because someone just sold a lot of it. And there is just a race in the whole world to buy those Binance Bitcoins. Charles wanted to see Sam's genius number crunching for himself. So he went to Alameda's offices in a tower in Hong Kong's business district. The company was probably at the time 20, maybe 30 people. A traditional trader office, essentially a forest of screens. Every trader would probably have like four screens each and fairly quiet, fairly focused. He asked Sam why he was so open about his trading. And Sam replied that it was impossible for anyone to copy the trading algorithms that they'd coded. And he was saying there is no no advantage or there is nothing to hide. Everything is in the infrastructure. Everything is in the the right programming of bots. Sam was myth-making. The reality was somewhat different. For sure, he'd made back some of the money Alameda had lost in Berkeley. But when Charles visited the office in Hong Kong in 2019, the business was still small. And as for those impossible-to-recreate trading algorithms Sam was so proud of? Well, in May 2022, 
Caroline told the hosts of the El Momento podcast that Alameda's trades weren't exactly rocket science. <laughs> Use very little math. Use a lot of like uh, elementary school math, like uh, arithmetic, probability, but not really any of the advanced stuff I learned in college. The crypto market in Asia wasn't regulated. That meant that prices surged up and down as insiders pumped and dumped assets at the expense of small investors. Making wages on those price swings could be stressful. In terms of emotions, it's definitely something that I've had to work on. Over time, you have to uh, get comfortable with larger and larger uh, swings of money. Just three years ago, Caroline had been a fresh-faced junior at Jane Street. Now Sam was pushing the Alameda team to bet millions of dollars in single trades. Being comfortable with risk is very important. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of people who are like very smart but aren't good at necessarily the very like messy world of trading, especially crypto trading. But the messy world of crypto trading would land Caroline in serious trouble. In hindsight, it's surprising that someone with her promise got mired in this dirty world. Even as far back as grade school, she'd been considered exceptional. She was very smart, even at that age, clearly, with a especially good aptitude for math. Very quiet, not super integrated with the social fabric of the school. Dashiel Carrera went to elementary school with Caroline in Newton, Massachusetts. It's a leafy suburb of Boston, not far from MIT, where her parents were professors. I was also very good at math, but... She was in another league, clearly. So it was a funny wake-up call to have, you know, at the age of like 10. No matter how good I was at math, I was never quite as good as Caroline Ellison, you know. Dashiel ran into her again years later at an MIT program for gifted high school mathematicians. But Caroline didn't recognize him. It stuck out to me years later. Like, we live in the same block, and now we're here at this program at MIT, you know, miles away. Isn't this wild that we both happen to be here? And she kind of just, like, didn't really respond. Perhaps it was an intentional snub, or maybe it was just Caroline being shy and awkward. Either way, by the time she was in her early 20s, Caroline definitely was ambitious and on the path to big things. She was young, wealthy, and loyal to Sam and his master plan. He was taking the business to the next level, and Caroline was part of the inner circle that would help him get there. But to really hit the big time, Sam needed to follow the example of Arthur Hayes and CZ and set up his own exchange in Hong Kong. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. In February 2023, I was invited to a wedding at a private mansion in Singapore. It was a who's who of the local crypto scene. Beautiful women handed out drinks, and during the stylish rooftop ceremony, friends of the couple stood up to make heartfelt speeches. Later, I chatted with one of them over dinner, a charming Asian financier in his 40s. Thanks to Sam Bankman-Fried, the man had landed one of the biggest ever crypto windfalls. Back in 2019, he'd met with Sam in Hong Kong. 
Sam had been telling everyone about his world-beating algorithms. But this guy told me that Sam was desperate for investment in a new project, a crypto exchange called FTX that would offer all kinds of risky products to investors. The financier had previously invested in Asian casinos, and he saw Sam's enterprise as gambling, plain and simple. But he knew that if he got in early, he stood to make a killing. As the man considered whether to invest, crypto was about to enter an even crazier phase. Dogecoin is my sort of favorite cryptocurrency because it has the best humor and has dogs. Elon said first, Dogecoin is the people's crypto. No need to be a gigachad to own. If crypto has taught us anything, it's never to dismiss a good meme. He tweeted other things just like no highs, no lows, only Doge. When Elon Musk sang the praises of a joke cryptocurrency called Dogecoin, it sent the value of it through the roof. But Dogecoin is a parody. It's a meme. Just one of the many altcoins out there. Sam talked about these kind of cryptocurrencies on the Odd Lots podcast with Bloomberg's Matt Levine in April 2022. Sam used the metaphor of a magic box with no intrinsic value into which some investors start to put cash. This is a pretty cool box, right? Like <laughs> this, this is a valuable box as demonstrated by all the money that people have apparently decided should be in the box. Yeah, I mean, boxes can be great. The value of the box, a stand-in for the value of crypto, starts to go up, drawing more investors. What happens now, all <laughs> of a sudden people are kind of recalibrating and it's been like 48 hours and it already has $200 million because of you know the bullishness of people's usage of the box. And then it goes to infinity and then everyone makes money. Matt Levine is a former Goldman banker. He's seen a few things. But listening to Sam talk, he can't believe what he's hearing. You're just like, well, I'm in the Ponzi business and it's pretty good. Sam doesn't even try to deny that crypto is a Ponzi scheme. Eventually people decide that this is no longer today's cool box and they go down a lot in price and then people sort of move on to box number two. In other words, the last person in gets screwed. This is what Nouriel Roubini was railing against in his debate with Arthur Hayes. In the US, you go to jail for Ponzi's, or schemes that depend on pulling in new investors to pay off old ones. That's how Bernie Madoff wound up behind bars. But when it came to crypto, no one cared. There was just too much money on the table. In June 2019, Sam reached out to CZ by email to see if there was an opportunity to collaborate on his idea for a crypto exchange. It was just a few months since Sam had invited CZ to the drinks party in the aquarium in Singapore, their first ever meeting. He proposed to do a futures exchange together with Binance. Futures are a financial product that allow investors to bet on the future value of assets, like stocks. FTX was a futures exchange for cryptocurrencies. Sam's team had built software to do this. They had a prototype written up in either Python or Node.js, uh, one of the scripting languages. But in CZ's eyes, the code behind Sam's proposed futures exchange simply wasn't up to scratch. We were worried that the performance of that would not be good enough. And we also actually at the time already had a team working for a futures platform internally. So we said, OK, no, we're not going to go with that. We're going to go with our own internal solution. The snub annoyed Sam. His coding wasn't good enough. 
who did CZ think he was? And so they went off on their own. FTX stood for Futures Exchange. It allowed the trading of all kinds of crypto products, but it was focused on allowing investors to make huge gambles on future prices. So we felt pretty strong, like we could just build a better product. We also felt like we'd probably flop because I don't fucking know how to get a user. I'd never run a like customer-facing business before. I'd Back in 2021, Sam told the Real Vision podcast he wasn't sure what he was doing at FTX. But in multiple media appearances, Sam said he was willing to gamble that he could do it better than other crypto exchanges. He didn't name CZ's Binance, but the inference was clear. We basically just felt like, Jesus, we can do better. Like, these products are a total mess. These are not professionally built products. This is what happens when you have a tiny industry that grows up overnight is you have sort of accidental billionaires with accidental unicorn companies. At first, Sam had struck CZ as humble. But now Sam was going around saying he could do things better. For now, CZ brushed it off. Binance was a behemoth. Why should he care about Sam's new exchange? He may view us as a competitor. Uh, We never viewed FTX as a competitor. Even at the highest, they're probably about one-tenth of our size or less. So for us to view them as a competitor and spend time focusing on them, it doesn't make sense. But CZ had underestimated Sam's ambition. Sam's inner circle set about building FTX. As Sam was busy raising investment for the exchange, Caroline stepped up at Alameda. Her role was to ensure that the company moved its trades onto FTX making it appear the exchange was doing high volumes from the get-go. In the US, rules ban traders from also owning exchanges to stop any unfair advantages. But this was Hong Kong. The the relationship between Alameda and FTX, it was a big risk. Given the fact how unregulated everything is and how how many shady and bad things happen, it was always a, a red flag for us. Mike Van Rossum was an early trader on FTX. But he quickly overcame his concerns about the incestuous relationship between FTX and Alameda because Sam was allowing him to take big risks on the new exchange. And when you look at professional traders, like they want to trade size, they want to be able to trade very, very big amounts, big positions. Sam was allowing users to bet as much as they liked. On any other exchange, it was impossible to set up like a multi-million dollar position on some kind of altcoin that was not like Bitcoin. Whereas on FTX, you can. So it was just, it was way better than the competition at the time. FTX allowed bets at 100 times. That meant a trader could put down just $1,000 in collateral to make a wager of $100,000. It was like buying a $100,000 apartment with just a $1,000 down payment. These big risks paid off for Mike. It was very, very profitable because there was almost no other traders in the very early days. The profits started to mount for FTX too. In August 2019, Sam raised $8 million in FTX's first official funding round. Two million of it came from the financier I'd met at the wedding in Singapore. He was impressed by Sam's Jane Street experience, his Stanford professor parents, his image as a genius, and most of all, his vision to offer risky products. The financier wouldn't be disappointed because just two and a half years later, when he cashed out, that $2 million bet on Sam would be worth more than $1 billion, or an astounding 50,000% return on his money. A buzz was building about Sam. He was making big money for himself and investors. 
And quickly, CZ would be forced to take the younger man more seriously. After turning down Sam's offer to invest in the summer of 2019, CZ had watched as FTX's popularity grew. It was still a small exchange. It had around 100,000 users. By comparison, CZ's exchange Binance had 15 million. But when Sam got in contact with a new proposal in late 2019, CZ was interested in hearing him out. I think it was October, November-ish, Sam flew to meet with me again. He was asking for the investment. You know, he was humble and polite and saying all the right stuff. Sam wanted even more money to grow FTX's business. CZ hadn't wanted to partner with him earlier, but now FTX was a success. And as CZ says, having more exchanges could lend extra credibility to the crypto industry. We wanted to support another exchange, so we invested in FTX. We were the single largest investor there. That December, Binance acquired a fifth of FTX, spending roughly the crypto equivalent of $25 million on a 20% stake in Sam's business. CZ saw himself as the big brother in the relationship. Well, he wanted our support, he wanted our endorsement, and also like our validation to boost his credibility and also boost his brand. Because Alameda is a brand that nobody knows about, like it's a trading firm. I also joined a couple uh, panels with him at different crypto conferences just to help bootstrap him. In CZ's view, he'd lifted Sam out of obscurity and put him and his exchange on the fast track to success. But Sam was high on his newfound status. And almost immediately, he would seek to outdo his mentor. To catch up with Binance, FTX needed more users, and fast. Until now, many FTX customers were traders based in Asia. Sam wanted American traders, the biggest pool of potential customers, to use his platform. But FTX had a problem. It was hard to open a US bank account as an international crypto exchange. In this interview with The Block, Sam explains how FTX got around the issue. That meant that, you know, some clients who wanted to wire money to FTX nonetheless would wire money to Alameda's bank account. The U.S. Justice Department alleges just that, that from the very start, Sam lied to U.S. banks in order for FTX to receive American customer money. Sam has pleaded not guilty. Caroline was also getting in over her head. Back in California, she'd jokingly written about whether she should include, quote, wire fraud on her dating profile. Her stress mounted. She knew Alameda's trading on FTX was dubious. And now she was helping Sam use Alameda's bank accounts to funnel US customer money to FTX. It was a lot to handle. She talked about the pressure of startup life on the FTX podcast back in 2020. Although, of course, she didn't mention anything illegal. Once you're one of a few people at a small startup, realize that like, there are like a bunch of decisions that have to be made and someone has to make all of them. And a lot of them are like really uncertain, which is kind of terrifying. Just 24, living in Hong Kong and trading with millions of dollars at her fingertips each day, Caroline was living an extraordinary life. In the buzz of it all, she and Sam had grown close too and eventually started dating. But the relationship was unstable. The couple would fight and break up as Sam became increasingly domineering. 
On her Tumblr account, Caroline wrote about her, quote, foray into poly, or polyamory, suggesting both she and Sam had multiple partners. And then there was the drug use. Stimulants when you wake up, sleeping pills if you need them when you sleep. Sam tweeted at 5.40 a.m. Caroline joined in. Nothing like regular amphetamine use to make you appreciate how dumb a lot of normal, non-medicated human experiences, she wrote on Twitter. Sam would later deny any illegal drug use. But there's no doubt that, by now, the pair believed themselves to be extraordinary. They built FTX into a thriving business in Asia. And now, Sam was ready to conquer America. Coming up on Crypto Kingpins. Crypto-based companies effectively adopted a blank check mentality and promised the world. Sam said some very derogatory things about CZ in Dubai and in Abu Dhabi. I press the down button on the elevator, door swings open, and out pops Sam Bankman-Fried with two congressional aides. He was walking the halls like any other staffer. He compared himself to being like Wendy from Billions. Wendy is a psychiatrist for a hedge fund, and she also helps them cover their financial crimes. I keep hearing from other people saying that FTX or Sam's lobbying in the U.S. behind our backs and saying bad stuff about Binance or about me personally. Crypto Kingpins is a USG audio production in partnership with Project Brazen. It's written by me, Tom Wright, and managing producer, Megan Dean. From Project Brazen, Bradley Hope and I are executive producers. Josh Block is our executive producer from USG Audio. Mariangel Gonzalez and Nick Brennan are senior producers. Georgia G, Lucy Harley McEwen, and Ben Walsh are reporters for the project. Susie Armitage is story editor. Claire Urban is sound design supervisor with sound design by Alex Port-Felix. Seymour Milton is composer. Lucy Woods is head of research. Ryan Ho is series creative director and Julien Pradier is series designer. Noor Abdel-Latif is podcast strategist. Production management from USG Audio by Josh Laulongi. For more information on this podcast and other podcasts from USG Audio, go to our website usgaudio.com Thank you.